0: Man, so excited to have you guys here. So Natalie Reed is joining us uh, tonight. Some of you guys have been have been a part of family groups, so you gotten to see lots of these discussions. You know, last week got to talk with uh, Derek, talk with Hope, talk with Jackie. Sometimes it's just me talking, and then y'all talking in the in the family group. Um excited to get to do this in, in person and still uh, still get to have these, these conversations continue in the series that we've been doing since the beginning of semester, just called church, just called church, It's the study of the early church in the book of Acts. But um, as we get into it, Natalie, uh, we're talking about the biggest messes we've ever made. And I'm going to share my I want to hear from you first, Natalie. What is the biggest mess, literal mess, that you have ever made?
1: Yeah. So when I was probably about 11, 10 or 11 years old, uh, my siblings and I decided we wanted to go sledding. There was no snow, maybe minimal mm-hmm. snow. I'm from Ohio, y'all. If you don't know that, so like, we had like just a bit of snow. And we went sledding down this hill over and over and over for hours. It was not snow, it was mud. And so we were caked like head to toe in mud and came home. My dad was livid. He was like, y'all are really, really, really muddy and in big trouble. Um, but we were all super Did nice.
0: he hose you off in the yard?
1: Oh, totally. We lived <laughs> in an apartment with like a patio, like really tall and he made us like, you know, totally stripped out in the patio and host us all down. That's right. You're not in the house until we get hosed down. That's yeah. good. So
0: my my biggest literal mess that I've ever made also ties into my first job. Uh, so my first job at 15 was at Kroger. Those of you guys who grew up in Memphis, is the Kroger on Poplar in Exeter. That was my first job. Working as a bad boy there at that Kroger. So bagging groceries, but also cleaning the toilets, cleaning the bathrooms, taking out the trash, all the jobs no one else that's been there longer wants to do. Um, and so bagging groceries, one of the things that they would have us do, I don't even know if we still do this now, maybe not in the pandemic, not in general. Uh, if it was a, an, a, an older customer, you know, a customer that, that not look, looks maybe less able, you could offer, hey, I'll take it to your car, I'll put it in your car for you, those kind of things. This is before the click list, before all that kind of stuff. So uh, there, there, was, there was a customer and an older lady, um, and she had a really big order, so it filled both the cart and the under the cart, right? Uh, and, and so I offered to take it to her car, and she said, yeah, I'd love that. And of course, the bonus for that is oftentimes they give you a little bit of a tip, right? And so as a 15 year old, every little bit helps, they'll make a minimum wage. Uh, what she had in her cart, though, she had a giant bag of nacho cheese Doritos. So if there's a size, you know, like the family size, if there's a size bigger than family size, like neighborhood size. She had that <laughs> neighborhood size bag of, of, of Doritos, and I had them on the bottom, on the bottom. And so we're pushing the cart, right? And, we, and we're out into the parking lot, doing good so far, going to her car. It's the little lip of the sidewalk as you're getting into the street to go to the parking lot. I hit that big bump, that big bag of Doritos goes in front of the front tires. I drive over it, and there is a Dorito explosion that happens, right? And these little orange triangles go everywhere. They filled the parking lot. I said, nah, they didn't fill the parking lot. They did no, they, they were everywhere, right? <laughs> these little orange Doritos just shine every direction as far as the eye can see. Man, I'm, I'm a kid, I'm embarrassed, I'm mortified. I don't know how to clean this up. This, this, this is a mess that, that's way bigger than I'm, I'm prepared to handle. Um, the lady was really sweet about it, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out. I don't know what to do. Um, huge, huge mess. So these Doritos that were meant to be, uh, that had originally been in a very confi- confined space, were now everywhere. Well, it seemed like literally everywhere. There was nowhere that was not, not covered in Doritos, right? They were scattered everywhere. So tonight we're talking about a different kind of scattering, right? A different kind of scattering. Uh, a scattering, you know, of something that was once in a small space, but then got scattered everywhere. We're going to talk about the scattering of the early church that happens here in Acts chapter 8. The passage look next time. If you've got your Bibles, it's Acts chapter 8. If you don't have your Bibles, Jack has got the verses up there, so you're going to be good to go. But Acts chapter 8, we look at the scattering of the early Christians. Christians, up until this point of church history, were mostly congregated there in Jerusalem. Right? It's Jerusalem where Jesus... Uh, told the disciples to wait and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jerusalem where the Day of Pentecost happens, and Peter preaches, and 3,000 people join the church. And then a few, 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 few days later, a few weeks later, another 2,000 join the church. Right, so Jerusalem is popping off. People come to Christ, they're receiving Jesus, they're meeting together in each other's homes, right? They're they're meeting in the temple courts, and Christianity is really booming. They're in Jerusalem, but Jesus said, "I want you to make disciples of all nations, not just hang out in Jerusalem, right?" And so in life groups, uh, life groups this past week, we looked at uh, Stephen, right? Stephen's speech to the council, right? When mean, Stephen's brought before the council, and he has to give the speech, and he goes through Jewish history and explains how, just like the prophets were, were rejected by your ancestors, you rejected Jesus, the Messiah, in the exact same way. And of course, this enrages the high council, and they have, uh, they have Stephen seized, uh, and then they stone him to death, right? And so when, when Stephen is stoned to death, This turns the page, right, of intense persecution begins there in Jerusalem, intense persecution against Christians. And that intense persecution scatters the believers, all except for the apostles that remain behind, scatters the believers all throughout the area there. So you've got got believers moving to all these different regions to escape that persecution, to escape that danger, um, their their lives being threatened. And and so the Holy Spirit works through that to bring the gospel, bring the good news of Jesus to all these other regions that had not heard it yet. You know, 2020 has been a tough year for everybody. We shared highs and lows for 2020. Some of you guys had some really good highs. Some of you guys had some really low lows, right? And in general, it's been a tough year for all of us. All of us had to figure out the challenges of navigating a pandemic, school during a pandemic, working, all those kind of things. Um, And maybe it's hit your family in unique ways. It's been a tough year for everybody. Uh, And certainly God can can comfort us in that. We can find comfort and peace uh, from God in that. We can find strength through God. But not only that, one of the encouraging things we see from Scripture is that God also works through those tough situations to draw people to himself, right? So not only does God want to comfort you in the middle of a tough situation, he also wants to work through you in that situation to be a blessing to other people. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. The Christians in the passage we're looking at tonight were in an incredibly difficult season as well as people are being put to death and put in prison and they're having to flee for their lives to these other regions. Um, But in in the middle of that uh, intense persecution, in the midst of that difficulty, the Holy Spirit was at work, right? Bringing the gospel to people that needed to hear it uh, so that other people could hear the good news about Jesus, right? So uh, the event that kicks off this fierce persecution was the death of Stephen here. And then we're going to pick up in the beginning of Acts chapter 8, immediately after that to see what happens next. Acts chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 1. Acts 8, starting in verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Remember this guy Saul. He becomes important later, right? He becomes important next week. Saul's having people arrested, put in prison. Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. That's important, right? So the church has been scattered here. Like that bag of Doritos, it's no longer in a combined space. It is everywhere. The church is scattered to all these other regions. And the good news is that these Christians are preaching wherever they go. So they're moving to these new neighborhoods and saying, hey, have you heard the good news about Jesus? What? Who's this Jesus, right? So they're sharing the gospel with these people. They're preaching the good news wherever they went. The church was scattered by this persecution But they preached the good news. They brought the good news of Jesus to these new regions. And in the same way, um, often our struggles are opportunities to share Jesus with people, right? We may go through situations that we do not like, we do not enjoy. We would rather not go through this situation. The Holy Spirit will use it to bring Jesus to someone that needs it. To bring the good news of the gospel to someone who's not heard it. To bring the hope that you found, the peace that you found in the Lord to someone else. Um, If we allow the Holy Spirit to use us that way. So Natalie, for you, can you think of a time that God has used a difficult season or difficult situation in your life as a platform to share Christ with someone else?
1: Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite stories. So a few of you may have heard me tell this before, but that's okay. So after college, I actually graduated from undergrad a little bit early, um, and I got a job working as a medical scribe in an emergency room of a children's hospital. And so that was my job. Um, Everyone else I worked with who had that job was a college student. And so they were just doing it because they were in med school or whatnot, wanted the experience. But I was doing it because I needed the paycheck. I enjoyed it, but I needed the paycheck to pay my bills because I didn't have financial aid anymore. And then the hospital decided to cut back and to not extend the contract with the company. And so my hours went from basically full time to like six or seven hours a week if I got lucky. I was like, I don't have money to pay my rent, to like, do anything, I gotta get another job even though I'm gonna be leaving for grad school in a few months. So I started looking for a babysitting job because I knew I needed something temporary and a lot of times over the summer, that's what, you know, it's easy to find. Um, I was having a really hard time. I was like, God, you gotta do something? Like, I don't, I don't got money. Um, And then this random lady I did not know sent me a message and was like, hey, I need a nanny. and I can't pay very much. Like, she was offering less for a more than 40-hour-a-week position than would pay my bills. I'm like, that sounds awful, but I need a job. And I felt like God was telling me to take it. So I took it. It's the hardest job I have ever done. It was two one-year-old twins and a, their two-year-old sister. Um, and they were awful. <laughs> I'm like, just being honest. But I, like... <laughs> Took that job. I spent the whole summer praying for them and praying for their family. There was like some pretty like dark spiritual stuff happening in their home with their family. I didn't even get into the beginning of it, but I knew something was going on. I knew God wanted me there because I felt like he had spoken that. And so I just prayed for them the whole time I was working for them. And then I left for grad school. They had another nanny. She worked a couple weeks and quit. And they called me and said, hey, we need someone else. Like, do you have any ideas of what we can do? And so, it turns out, my roommate from before I moved was like looking for a temporary job, and so I like referred her to them, and they ended up hiring her, um, and she ended up being able to share the gospel with the kid's mom, um, like repeatedly over time. She got saved, started going to church with her, and so like now when we go back to Ohio and we go to church um, in in Dayton, like we see her, we see their family and stuff. So they actually, like, came to know Jesus um, because of my roommate, Sarah. And they met Sarah because I had that really well, crappy yeah. situation where I was, like, losing my job and had to get a new one.
0: That's good. That's a good example. Um, yeah, that's, that's a situation you would not have chosen to go through. But God eased it, right, to, to, to bring light to, to somebody else. Have you guys had a rough babysitting job before? Babysit kids that were... No, all you guys are big so little angels. Okay, hope was on us. Thank you. Um, yeah, so so this can look different for all of us, but we all all go through tough situations, right? We all go through tough seasons, difficult circumstances, and in that circumstance, we can be inward-focused and be like, man, I hate this. I can't wait until this is over. Or this isn't fair. I deserve better than this. Or we say, Holy Spirit, is there any way you can use me in the middle of this? Is there any way you can use me to share hope with someone else in the middle of this? Sometimes what this looks like I um, mean, you guys are students. I mean, you're going through a tough season in the class. Where, I maybe mean, you're in a class where most everybody's failing, and, 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 and nobody's doing well, and, and everybody's stressed out. It's the big project. The big papers do. Uh, and, and they look at you, and they say, I and mean, Julia, how come you're not stressed out like everybody else? Right? How come you're not pulling your hair out like everybody else? How do you still have peace? How do, you, how do you still... They still seem to have joy in the middle of this. And that's an opportunity... I mean, they ask you, right? That's an opportunity to say, man, let, let me tell you. Let me tell you why I still have peace. even when." Worlds falling apart, right? They may see you go through a difficult thing with your family, a difficult thing with your health, and uh, and, and they can tell the difference. They see you still got that peace, that joy, and that's an opportunity for you to share the hope that you found in Jesus if you'll let the Holy Spirit work through those difficult situations that way. Well, let's continue. Continue to verse 5. Uh, this is where we follow the story of a man named Philip. I love this guy. You're going to love this dude too. Philip says, went down to the city of Samaria. says he went down, but geographically it's, we would think, oh, it's north. He went north to Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah, talked about Jesus there. Verse 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame, uh, paralyzed were healed. So there was great joy in the city. So, so Philip goes to this region of Samaria, he preaches the gospel, he shares the good news of Jesus. We're told miracles and signs and wonders accompany the preaching of the gospel so he's preaching but he's also praying for people and people are miraculously healed paralyzed people are able to get up and walk um, and people are delivered of, of, of evil spirits and, and other things that have them in bondage and this so this huge move of god that's bringing healing and deliverance uh the Bible tells us brings great joy to the city the city's full of joy because then Philip here bringing the message of Jesus um It also attracts the attention of someone else. It attracts the attention of a local magician named Simon. Let's read about Simon. Verse 9. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city. And amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. That's a nickname, right? The great power of God. And they followed him. Because he'd amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. So this is Simon the Sorcerer. If you've ever heard about this guy, Simon the Sorcerer. Was he a real sorcerer? Was, was he doing real magic? Or was it just illusion? right? Was he Was he tricking the people? Was he doing real magic? We don't know. The Bible doesn't make it clear. We don't know if he was just deceiving the people. We don't know if he was having some kind of demonic uh, power. Either way, it's not good, though, right? Either way, it's not good. Because he's either doing real witchcraft and demonstrating demonic supernatural powers, or he's deceiving the people into thinking he's some kind of great somebody, right? So either way, it's not great. Uh, and we wanted to touch briefly on this this idea of supernatural power in the world, right? Um, and there, there is supernatural power in the world, um, and, and, and we need to kind of be aware of that, and, and, and we need to, to know how we're going to approach that. So this would involve things, uh, and certainly, I you know, witchcraft, uh, and magic. We're not talking about like the magician who's doing illusions and it's for fun and he's not really trying to trick people into thinking he's some kind of spellcaster wizard guy, right? Like there there can be magic that's just, just for fun. I'm not talking about that, but someone that's trying to and to do real witchcraft and put curses and spells on people. I'm talking about stuff like going to, to psychics to have your, your fortune told, you know, talking about the you know, horoscope and tarot cards and those kind of things. When well, we encounter those things. We need to keep something in mind. Either it's not real, and it's fake, and the person is just trying to deceive you, which, man, does happen, and a lot of people are deceived. Like, wow, oh, how does this person know my whole story? And, and really the stuff they said was so vague, it, it would apply to, like, 98% of people. Right? They, they may just be deceiving. But on the other hand, if it is real supernatural power, and it's not from God, you don't want to have anything to do with it. Right? So when we look at this world, when we look at this universe, there are two sources of supernatural power. Supernatural power that comes from God, or supernatural power that's not from God, right? Power that's derived from God, or power that comes from Satan. So if it's not from God, then I don't want to have anything to do with it, right? There, there, again, a lot of stuff is, is, is fake, a lot of stuff's just tricks, a lot of stuff just trying to fool people, deceive people. But if it's real, right, and, and there is real, dark, supernatural power in the world, if it's real, then I don't want to mess with it, right? Uh, the Bible tells us uh, in 1 John 4:2 how we can know for sure if a supernatural power comes from God or not, right? First John, uh, John addresses this. He says, man, how do you discern spirits? How do you know if a spiritual thing is from God or not? He says, you know it's from God if it acknowledges Jesus Christ, right? If it gives glory to Jesus, if it says Jesus came in the flesh, God sent his son Jesus to save us. If it's pointing to Jesus, then, then that, that's a godly supernatural power, right? If it's talking about doing all these powers and it's not giving any credit to Jesus, it's detracting from God and say, hey, friend, I don't want anything to do with that, right? I don't want to mess with that. Um, You know, so any claim that's tapping into real supernatural power that doesn't come from God, that's something we would want to steer clear from. Natalie, do you have anything else you'd add there?
1: Yeah, so like Matt just said, I like that, steer clear. We steer clear from things, supernatural power that's not from God, but at the same time, it's not something we need to be afraid of, right? So if we are Christians, if we have accepted Jesus, then We know that the Bible says greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So we're going to be wise and stay away from it, but we're not going to be afraid of it. And we're not going to think, oh, if someone like threatens to cast a spell on me that I have to, or, you know, I've had weird stuff happen in my life because I have. But if something like that happens or we see it out there, we're not going to be we don't need to fear it. We don't need to think like, oh, this is going to ruin my life or this is going to have power over me um, because I'm going to steer clear of it and because God is greater. And greater is he, the Holy Spirit, that is in me than he that is in the world. Yeah, that's good. God doesn't
0: want us to be afraid of that stuff, right? But we also shouldn't go to it for guidance and direction or even for fun. I mean,
1: as a Christian, you don't need to
0: call a psychic, right, to know your future, right? God doesn't want you to do that. doesn't want you to mess around with that. God doesn't want you flipping tarot cards to try to figure out, man, I made your decision. He wants you to go to him in prayer and trust that he's going to guide you and direct you. He's a good father that knows how to take good care of his children. He wants to guide and direct you. He doesn't want you to turn to other supernatural garbage for that. Does that make sense? So steer clear of it. You don't want anything to do with it, but also don't be afraid. of oh, What a great point, Natalie. So back to Simon, right? So he uh, he's known as this great power, this great magician there in Samaria. But the sorcerer, he sees something happening, right? He sees that the people that used to follow him are now following this guy named Philip. Uh, So let's pick up here in verse 12, right? So the people that were following him are now following Philip, and they're turning to Jesus, putting their trust in Jesus. Verse 12, but when they, this is the people of Samaria, believed Philip, they believed the message of Jesus as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, Simon himself was bat- believed and was baptized. So even Simon says, yeah, I need Jesus, right? And he turns to Jesus and he is baptized uh, in, in obedience and following Jesus. It says he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. So, so even Simon becomes a believer, right? Even Simon says, Man, I want Jesus, I want the real thing. I want to know God. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. So the word comes back to Jerusalem, to the apostles, to the leaders of the church, that it is popping off in Samaria. There's a huge revival there. People are coming to Christ like crazy. People are getting saved. Miracles are happening. So they send the church leadership to go go check that out. We need to help disciple some of these people that that are coming to Christ. We need to help uh, help come alongside Philip in any way we can uh, in, in the midst of this big revival. Um, So it says the apostles in Jerusalem heard what was going on. Uh, When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Peter and John placed their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. So Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us here that that when uh, Peter and John come to these believers, again, they put their trust in Christ. Many of them had already been baptized in water, baptized in the name of Jesus. When they asked him, have you received the Holy Spirit yet? No, we've not received the Holy Spirit yet. Okay, so they laid hands on them, and, and these men and women received the Holy Spirit. They're full of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we heard about in Acts chapter 2. Now they're receiving that same baptism of the Holy Spirit when Peter and John laid their hands on them. Verse 18, when Simon saw the Spirit had been given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay my hands on May receive the Holy Spirit. Does it work that way? No, it doesn't work that way. But he wants. He said, "Man, whatever you're doing, you're praying for people, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and it's amazing. And I want to be able to do that for people. Let me get my checkbook. How much can I pay so I can pray for people and they can receive the Holy Spirit like that?" Um, he sees such a dramatic change in the lives of the people that have been full of the Holy Spirit, and he says, "I have to have that. Like I, I don't know what that is." I can never do that. With all my sorcery and magic tricks, I can never do that, and I have to have it. And I'll pay any price, right? How much money do you want? I've got a bag of gold or denarii, whatever they have. I've got, I've got that bag of the house. I'll pay any price to have that. I don't have that. I need that. I want it. I'll pay any price to have it. And we don't know exactly what it was Simon saw here. Luke, elsewhere, when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, he tells us what happens. In Acts chapter 2, he tells us was a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and fire appeared above their heads, and they, they spoke in other tongues right? Elsewhere in the book of Acts Before baptizing the Holy Spirit They speak in other tongues Or they'll prophesy here's, a, here's one passage where Luke doesn't really tell us what happens We know Simon saw something That he's like, whoa That's some supernatural power that, that I don't have And I want that, I want to have it right?" So we don't, we don't know exactly what happened there Tongues and prophecy is likely Because we see that happen all of the other times That baptism of the Holy Spirit's mentioned um, But Simon sees something in them That he says, I want to have it So what about us? And I want you to think about your own life 2,000 years later, right? What are we doing, right? What are we allowing God to do through us? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to so dramatically work through our lives that the people around us would say, I want what they have, right? I, J- Justin's got something. He's different. Whatever he has, I want to have it, right? And whatever Hope has, I've got to have that. I've got, I've got to know... I've got to know God like you know God. I've got to experience the Holy Spirit like you're experiencing the Holy Spirit. Whatever you have, I see God moving dramatically in your life, and I have to have it, and I would do anything to have it, right? Are we allowing God to work through us to that degree and to express himself through us? Let his love shine through us to such a degree. Let his power move in our life to such a degree that our classmates and roommates and friends and neighbors and family members and strangers are saying, there's something different about you, and I want it. Right? I want to know what it is, and I want it for myself. I want that. I'll pay any price to have it. I'll do anything to have it. Now when you think about the qualities that you see in a believer's life, and you look at, at I mean, great women of God great men of God, and you say, man, there's something in them that just makes me want to know Jesus better. There's something in them that I just want to be more like them so I can be closer to God. What are some of those qualities, what are some of those things that you would say you see in the life of, of believers that just makes you want to be a better Christian?
1: Yeah, I think, like, the biggest thing is when I see anyone who's super passionate about Jesus, like, really, really loves Jesus, I think that comes out um, in their obedience to Jesus. You know, like, we see people who give up everything, like, maybe God calls them to the mission field, and they sell everything they have and go. We see other people who, like, are... So in love with Jesus that they have supernatural faith for him to heal people and they will pray like nothing else that this person will be healed Um, I've seen people who have forgiven people for like Crazy things like things. I don't know how you forgive like it's not Humanly possible to forgive those things and it has to be because they are so deeply in love with Jesus that he is the most important thing And so they'll obey him no matter what no matter if it's hard, no matter if it's difficult to forgive someone, to give something up. Um, just that like passionate love of Jesus that's like so deep in them that it's clear. It's obvious to everyone around them because it affects literally everything that they do.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, no, I, I would agree with all I, I that. You know, I think about the people that I've looked up to in my life and the people that made me want to know God more, made me want to be closer to Jesus. There would be an extraordinary humility to them. Extraordinary kindness to them. He has met those people that they're just un, but like supernaturally kind, supernaturally patient. Like how are you doing that? Like you're you're, you're a human being like me. Like uh, and it's God in them. It's the Holy Spirit in them, allowing them just to be supernaturally humble, supernaturally kind. Um, they just love everybody, right? And some of us would say, yeah, I just love everybody, but you can see it like in the way they treat people. They treat everyone like they're valuable. Um, we know that every human being is made in God's image, every single human being has value and worth, but when you see someone that treats other people like that, you know, from the least to the, to, to the greatest, uh, and that, that's something that, you know, when I see people loving well, they're extraordinarily kind, extraordinarily patient, um, I see God in them in that way like, and I want to be as patient as them. I want to be as kind as everyone I meet as them. I want, to, I, want to, I want to love God like they love God. Um, and so obviously, so Simon tries to, to purchase it. He says, I want to buy the ability to pray for people and then receive the Holy Spirit like this. And of course, Peter goes on to tell them it does not work that way. Um, and so obviously, you can't purchase the Holy Spirit or the ability to give the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a free gift that God gives us, the free gift that he gives to whoever asks for it. But there are some prices that we pay to be closer to God, right? It's not, it's not a monetary thing. We can't get out our checkbook and be like, how does ten dollars sound God? No, but there are prices we pay to be closer to Jesus. So Natalie, uh, I mean, th- for this question, I man, what do you think are some of those prices a person pays to have more of the Holy Spirit in their life, more of God in their life?
1: Yeah, I think the most obvious is time and effort, right? In any relationship, if you're gonna get to know someone, you've got to spend time with them and you've got to put effort into the relationship. So why would it be any different with God? Like if we wanna get to know him, if we want him to work. In our life, we have to be willing to set aside time for Him. We have to be willing to give up some of our time. We have to be willing to put effort into it. Um, I think another one is just like having our own way, especially in our culture. It's like, man, if I want it my way, if I want to do it my way, it's my dreams, my ideas, like that's what matters to me. Um, We have to be willing to lay those things down and say, no, it's not what I want, it's what God wants, um, even if I don't like it or even if it's not easy. And then I also think like we have to be willing to give up. Um, this was what you were saying earlier about humility we have to be willing to give up always getting the credit um, when we follow Jesus like sometimes he asks us to do things in a humble way or behind the scenes way and let other people have the credit or let no one like, and not even be noticed Like that servant who, who will do whatever, that kind of mentality of like hey I'm doing this for Jesus not for my own fame or my own glory or for my own recognition um, but, but for him
0: that's good. See, obviously, you can't buy the Holy Spirit. You can't buy more of God in your life. But there is a cost. And Jesus even talks about counting the cost, right? Before you're going to follow Jesus, you need to count the cost. What does it cost you? it uh, may cost you giving up some activities that you like to do, but Jesus does not approve of, right? Say, okay, Jesus, to follow you, it means, man, I'm not going to do uh, not to do these things that I enjoy doing, but I know, I know are sinful. It's going to cost me giving up those things. It's going to be worth it, but it's a cost, right? It's going to cost me the time uh, to set aside for prayer. It's going to cost me the time to set aside to, to study the Bible, get to know God more through His Word. There, there is a cost associated with it. It's not it's not money, um, but, 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 but there is a cost. i saying, if I want more of God in my life, if I want God to be so dramatically evident in my life that it's obvious to the people around me and other people are drawing, are drawing to God, it's going to cost me something, and am I willing to pay that cost, right? Um, And and so it always comes back to, uh, you know, our our, our salvation, our relationship with God cost God something. It cost Jesus something, obviously, right, to save us from our sins and restore that broken relationship with God. Uh, Each and every one of us, we're separated from God uh, by sin and things that, uh, times that we're prideful, times that we're selfish, things we do that hurt ourselves and hurt other people, what the Bible calls sin, Every single human being that's ever lived has done this. And the Bible tells us that separates us from God. God loves us. He wants us to have a relationship with Him. Uh, and it cost God something to restore that relationship that was broken by our sin. And the cost was His Son, Jesus. Right? God sent His Son, Jesus, to live the life, the perfect life that I could never live. Right? And then Jesus' death on the cross. Right? God worked a supernatural miracle in that death on the cross where He took all the punishment that I deserved, that you deserved, everything we've ever done wrong. He laid it on Jesus instead. So instead, God could extend us forgiveness and grace and mercy when we put our trust in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Right? When we put our trust in Jesus say, Jesus, save me from my sins. Make me right with God. then God does. He completely forgives us for our sins. You get a fresh start, a brand new start at life. And you get adopted into the family of God as a son, as a daughter. When this life on earth is over, you have an eternity in heaven with God. That's the good news of the gospel. It costs Jesus something, right? And it cost us something as well. I mean, what are we willing to give up to have more of God? That's the question, right? That's the takeaway tonight. What am I willing to give up to have more of God in my life? You know, so the, the, the two big things I want us to think about as we transition to, to a time of prayer, and then and Jackie and come up, we're going to worship God uh, together. Are we open to the Lord using our tough situations as an opportunity to share Jesus with others? I and mean, think about the tough situations in your own life. Am I willing, God, for you to use that tough situation to use me as a light to other people? Say, I don't like this. I would rather not be in this situation. But if I'm going to be here, Lord, use me to share the hope I've found in you with someone else. God, if i got to go through this tough season anyway, can you use me to be a light to someone, to share Jesus with someone, to lead someone else to God? The other thing is this. Are we going to allow the Lord to fill us with himself so that the power of God is so dramatic and evident in our life that it causes the people around you to say, I want what you have, whatever that is, whatever it is. I I, I know I don't have it. I know I don't have that peace. I don't have that joy, but I want it. I have to have it. Are we going to allow God to fill us with his Holy Spirit to that degree, to, to, to give Holy Spirit room in our life, to do what he pleases? where it makes such a dramatic difference in our life that the people around us would say, man, I want, I want to have that. I want to know what that is. I want to have what you have. Um, so uh, Jackie's going to come up and play, and we're going to respond in prayer and then just transition into a time of worship together, okay? Um, and here, here's how we're going to do the prayer time. Uh, here's how we're not going to do the prayer time. You're not going to all come up front and, and have hands laid on you because we're doing the social distancing, right? So right there at your seat, we're going to respond to God, and I'm just going to have you guys uh, respond this way. If you would say that, uh, man, I just, I want more of God in my life. I want more of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to see the Holy Spirit work in my life in that way where it's evident that the people around me uh, and, 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 and other people are drawn to God because of the, the, the hope, the life, the peace, the joy they see in me. If that's you, saying, man, that, that's something that I want, you can just stand up right in your seat. Just stand up and say, man, that's me. You can stand up now. Just stand up and say, I want more of God in my life. Just stand up right where you're at. You don't have to move. And stand in your seat say, God, I want more of you in my life. I want more of you in my life. You know, there's not a right or wrong way to pray, not a right or wrong way to worship God necessarily, but I think it can be powerful sometimes when we're praying a prayer like this, our posture matters. Right? And so, if I say, God, I want more of you in my life, to not sit there with our arms crossed looking stern or with our And our our hands, stuff in our pockets. take a posture of receiving. Like if I was going to give you a gift, like a big gift, I got a big present for you, like a television or something. Yeah, take that posture of receiving and say, God, I want more of you. I want more of you in my life. God, would you fill me me with your Holy Spirit? Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, God. That it'd be so evident to the people around me that they would say, I want what you have. Tell me about this, Jesus. Tell me about this... God, that's making such a difference in you. God, we know that that's going to cost us something. Holy Spirit, would you show us the things you want us to give up, the things you would have us lay down, so that we can have more of you in our life. God, the things that are taking up our time, our energy, our affections, God, that are just really distractions from you, God. Holy Spirit, would you gently put your finger on those things in our life, that you would have us lay down and give up, so we can have more of you, Jesus. More of you, God. here tonight, and you've maybe never prayed that prayer like I talked about, to put your trust in Jesus, to have him forgive your sins and make you right with God, I pray that you do that now. Say, so said, Jesus, I put my trust in you and what you did on the cross to save me. Please forgive my sins. I receive your eternal life. God, help me to follow you from this day forward. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Adopt me into the family of God. God, help me to no longer live for myself, but to put my trust completely in you and follow you from this day forward. God, help us. God, help us. Some of us may have prayed a prayer like that, but we've been far from God lately. In quarantine season, it's difficult. We've not gotten the fellowship a lot. We've not had the, the normal things that encourage us in our faith. and We're far from God. Holy Spirit, would You just draw us back to you. Draw us back to you with your wide-open love and arms, God. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with the power of God. God, I pray as a ministry, the KAI alpha, God, we would be a place where the power of God would be evident. The joy of the Lord would be evident, the peace of God would be evident. would be evident to our classmates, to, to the students on the campus, God, to our roommates, to friends and family members, God, and you would use us to share the gospel with people that need to hear it, God. Even in tough situations, even in hard circumstances, God, use us for your glory, God. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Let's just hang out in this moment. Just allowing God to just, just pour into us all that he has for us. Drinking deeply of his love and his mercy and his kindness. And Jackie's going to transition and lead us into a time of worship here.